what I've tried to do in kind of my mission in life is to really make taxes so simple conceptually that even a six-year-old could understand them. You know, it's really a function of one, how do you make your money? And two, what do you do with your money when you do make it? And that's really what it is. And then three is understanding the rules of the game. So taxes are a game. We all have to play it. We don't get a choice. If we ignore it, we just pay the maximum tax. So we don't get to choose whether we're partners with the government. We just get to choose what kind of a partner we are with the government. Well, I'm excited to welcome you to Shout Tom. How are we doing today? I'm doing great, Matt. How are you? Well, we're uh, we're getting to that time of year where all I can do is think about taxes right now. So this is a, <laughs> a timely conversation. And uh, we got none other than the best in the country to help us navigate through it. So for those who don't know who you are and what you've been up to over the course of your career, when somebody says, who is Tom Wheelwright? What do you say? Well, what people know me best for is uh, are my two best-selling books, Tax-Free Wealth and The Win-Win Wealth Strategy, and my connection with Robert Kiyosaki of Rich Dad Poor Dad fame, as I've been his CPA um, and connected with him for over 20 years. So that's been a that's been a quite a ride and a learning experience. You know, I'm I'm curious before we dive into you know all all that we're going to talk about today. What, what has that ride and journey been? like with Robert, knowing that both of you guys are, you know, big uh, action takers and, and big doers. What has that journey consisted of for you? You know, it's, it's, it's been fantastic. I mean, Robert's very much about personal development. And so he's, he really has changed my life from a personal development side. And I like to say that I, I think that success in business and investing really starts with the personal development side. And so it's not the financial side, you know, those are just tactics, but it's the personal development. Who are you? Are are you willing to handle more money, right? That whole, like you say, like you say, the millionaire mindset, right? And so um, Robert and I, we've literally traveled all over the world. Um, I've been in studio with him where he has hammered me. I've been on stage in front of 2000 people where he's uh, kind of put the hook on me and say, no, Tom, people don't want to hear that. And he's very um, he's he's very honest and very transparent, and uh, doesn't care where it doesn't matter where you are. And and I love that because you always know where you stand with Robert. I, I, had, a, I had a friend once said Robert would never stab somebody in the back because he'd like to see the look on your face when he stabs you in the front. So he, he literally, I mean, he wouldn't he he would never do that. He, he literally would never stab you in the back. And I, I don't know about you, but I. As entrepreneurs, I think we always want to know what's in front of us and we can handle it if we can see it. It's what we can't see that is so difficult. And with Robert, what you see is what you get. And I love that. And, you know, it's it's kind of fun because as we travel, a little bit of his good cop, bad cop, he, get, he, he likes being the bad cop, the Marine. And I like being the good cop, the Mormon missionary. So uh, we, we, we work well together that way. You guys got a nice yin and yang and a, a great balance. And... For many people that listen to our show, these are entrepreneurs, investors, business owners that are out there, you know, making money. And uh, that generally doesn't seem to be, once they get over that hurdle, doesn't seem to be the, the the hard part of rinsing, repeating that. It's oftentimes how do they keep as much of that money as they possibly can. And, you know, taxes uh, for many people seem to be like, you know, right in, 
reading and writing Chinese in a dark cave without a flashlight. And it's very confusing. And, you know, they never taught us this stuff in school. And so I want to get into some tactics today on why the rich don't pay taxes, because I know that's something that you eat, sleep and breathe year round and have helped thousands and thousands of investors, business owners and entrepreneurs, you know, pay little or no taxes or at least minimize their taxes. But in, in your perspective, why why don't they teach us this kind of stuff? Why why haven't they taught us this stuff historically? And do you think that's ever going to change? Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like building a bigger pipeline with real customers leading to higher win rates and conversions and of course larger deals and paydays all around we call this deep sales and linkedin has built the first deep sales platform with the next generation of linkedin sales navigator right now our millionaire mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try linkedin sales navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com forward slash mindcast that's linkedin.com forward slash mindcast for a 60-day free trial let linkedin sales navigator help you sell like a superstar today just go to linkedin.com forward slash mindcast and get started well starting with will it ever going to change and the answer is probably not um, that's that's why I have seminars. That's why I have online education. That's why I have other ways to get this information. No, it's it's a lot easier to get it, right, than it was yeah. 20 years ago um, when we didn't have YouTube and and TikTok and and whatever else you know you you watch or listen to um, podcasts, right? We didn't have this kind of information. We had to re- rely on um, CNN. right for our financial news i'm going i don't know about that you know i'm not sure that's where i want to get all my financial news but um uh you know taxes are uh i you know my goal in life is to make taxes fun easy and understandable um uh, the famous quote from albert einstein is that the income tax is the hardest thing in the world to understand i'm going well if Albert Einstein thought it was difficult then surely the average person is going to think this is really hard and Um, What I've tried to do in kind of my mission in life is to really make taxes so simple conceptually that even a six-year-old could understand them. You know, it's it's really a function of, uh, one, how do you make your money? And two, what do you do with your money when you do make it? I mean, and, and, and that's really what it is. And then three is understanding the rules of the game. So, you know, I mean, taxes, taxes are a game. We all have to play it. We don't get a choice. I mean, we can, if we ignore it, we just pay the maximum tax. So we don't get to choose whether we're partners with the government. We just get to choose with what, choose what kind of a partner we are with the government. So most people are very much the silent partner and they just go ahead and they pay their tax, keep their head down. They go, I don't want to know anything. I just don't want to be audited. And then there are those, and they're primarily the wealthy entrepreneurs 
and investors who say, wait a minute, taxes are my single biggest expense. They're my single biggest outflow of cash. Um, why would I not want to manage that expense and make sure that I'm using, uh, that I have the ability to use the money instead of just turning it over to the government, if I have that choice to do it legally, ethically, and morally. And the reality is that the tax law actually provides us um, an entire roadmap for doing that. And really, the government is not out there to collect the most taxes possible. The government is out there to um, influence behavior. And uh, then they let you make your choice. Do you want to behave the way the government wants you to behave? Or do you want to just pay high tax? And that's, it's a really actually a simple choice. So let's maybe, let, let's talk a little bit about that, that roadmap and maybe give some, you know, taxes 101 uh, education on today's call. When, when you first meet with many individuals, who out there is, you know, this roadmap really designed for and where should they be looking to start this process? That, that, that's, that's the right question. Um, because if you're not a business owner or an active investor, uh, the tax law really tends to work against you and not for you. You know, if you think um, John F. Kennedy was the first president to really use taxes as a way to influence behavior, general behavior in the economy when he enacted an investment tax credit for manufacturers who would buy new equipment. He said, look, if we give you a little incentive, it's just a 10% tax credit, will you change your behavior? Sure enough, they did. And then Ronald Reagan comes along and he goes, we need to, we'd like to influence people um, with real estate. So we want to give real estate tax benefits. So he enacted this um, uh, accelerated depreciation, which is the big tax benefit in real estate. And he did that in 1981. That was one of the very first things he did as president was to enact tax incentives for real estate. So, if, you know, if you, you kind of look at the our history over the last uh, 60 years, especially, it's been really about, all right, Governments realize that nobody likes paying taxes. So a little tax incentive will go a long ways. And so what behaviors do we want to incentivize? I mean, even, even this current administration who's, you know, now has become famous for saying we need to tax the rich. They're not really talking about taxing the rich. They're talking about taxing high income earners. Okay, because they're not talking about taxing the rich. The, 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 the really wealthy people, I mean, all billionaires made their money as entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. right? Every one of them. And, or their parents were entrepreneurs, one, you know, one of the two. And so, you know, then you just have to look at, well, if the government wants to incentivize certain behaviors, what are those behaviors? And I write in the Win and Wealth Strategy, the seven investments that the government will literally pay you to make. And it's, you know, and that I just, I, I just thought, well, you know what? Let me just give you a roadmap for it. Let me just spell it out in plain English. These are the set of seven areas where you can invest your money and pay less tax. And what are those seven investments? Not uh, to get no, I'm I'm happy. I'm uh, I'll tell you what the seven are. You have to read why that is, and you'll have you know you want details. You get it, have to get it have to buy the book. But um, you know the seven investments start. It starts with business. All the great tax incentives start with business because the government wants to incentivize um, business owners. They want to incentivize jobs, right? Create more jobs. I mean, 
remembering that when you create more jobs, you actually, and higher paying jobs, you end up with people paying more tax. And so the government isn't doing this unselfishly, right? They're not doing this because they have this great cause. They really do make money on these incentives. Yeah. Um, so business is number one. And then uh, close uh, number two is technology. Of course, they want business to create technology and incentivize technology. That's why you read that, you know, Amazon and Jeff Bezos and uh, Elon Musk and Tesla didn't pay tax for many, many, many years. Well, this is why, because these are incentives. The government wants them to have more money to put back into their business and continue to develop. Um, then, of course, the, the the third one is real estate. Real estate's a very big one. If you get out of the pure, um, you know, day-to-day -day business operations, you really need to be looking at long-term real estate. That's, mm -hmm. that's the first place to go. And then close related to that now is energy, because, of course, now we're, now we put energy on our rooftops. Right. It used to be we had to invest in a drilling rig and now we just have to put it on rooftops. And if you look at this current administration, they said, well, we don't want you drilling. What we want you to do is we want you putting energy on your rooftop. And uh, that's really all they've done. They haven't changed the fact of incentives. They've just changed which incentives. And then, of course, uh, food production has always been highly incentivized and it is in every country. And uh, I will tell you honestly, Matt, I, I'm not sure I've ever met a farmer or rancher who paid much in income tax um, because the incentives are just too great. I mean, there's just no reason for them to be paying income tax. And then we have a couple of other incentives that are not business related that really anybody can use. One's life insurance, particularly whole life um, or universal life, the, they're related. And the second one, and the next one, of course, which is the last and the least, I think, is uh, qualified retirement plans like IRAs, 401ks, and pension plans. Um, that is something, you know, nobody would complain that the rich aren't paying tax because of their pension plans, right? Except, you know, I guess uh, uh, President Obama complained about uh, 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 Mitt Romney not paying enough tax in his Roth uh, 401k. But um, that's really, that's actually the only one of the seven that the government doesn't make money on. They they actually kind of break even on that one. They make money on everything else. To put a note next to real estate, obviously many of our listeners are real estate investors or their business is in real estate. Um, with the current Biden administration proposing in their 2024 budget, to uh, potentially do away with like-kind 1031 exchanges. I know this isn't the first time they've brought it up. What are your thoughts around the likelihood of that, you know, making it to uh, to Congress and becoming something that actually gets enacted in the law? Well, um, President Biden is, is certainly after people who um, are successful in their long-term capital gains. Uh, that is clear. He wants to double the capital gains rate. He wants to do away with 1031 exchanges. He uh, The challenge, of course, is that it would decimate the economy. Yes. So you, you can't pull the plug, right? I mean, it's, it, it's one thing. It, it's kind of like you put on weight gradually. You don't take it off all at once, right? If you do, you die. Yeah. I mean, literally, your body shuts down, your system shut down. So you take it off a little bit of time. So if you want to wean yourself off of these incentives, that's fine, but you can't do it all at once. Uh, certainly for the next two years, you know, his budget's dead in the water. My bigger concern, frankly, is the um, 5% Medicare tax that he wants to do, which is on 
small business owners as well as real estate investors and not just passive real estate investors. He wants to make it on active real estate or professional real estate investors too. That's a big, big additional tax. Um, 5% is a really big tax um, because that would include, you know, 5% on the gains from when you sell your real estate. Uh, even though capital gains rates aren't um, adjusted for inflation properly, um, you're, you're still going to have, you know, you've got all these gains that come from inflation uh, and then you have to pay tax on that inflation, even though you may not have actually increased your wealth at all, mm -hmm. you still have to pay tax on it. So it's a, it's a, it's, it's a chance, you know, his budget's challenging, but remember, he's just throwing things out. I think both to um, have a negotiating position with a Republican Congress. And I think also to kind of put out what he's running on in 2024. Yeah, I was going down kind of the rabbit hole and really trying to think about, you know, as a real estate investor and somebody who's used 1031 exchanges and it being such an amazing tool that has been around for so long. I was trying to think of the real catastrophic downsides of that going away. And when you really start peeling back the layers of the onion, it really could be catastrophic. Well, you, you take liquidity out of the marketplace. So uh, increasing capital gains, they've actually, um, the Tax Foundation has done a lot of research on capital gains rate. And they show that once your capital gains rate gets much over 25%, you don't actually bring more money into the treasury because people change their behavior. They don't sell assets. Well, so this is why Biden, of course, wants to enact this wealth tax, which, by the way, is unconstitutional. So I'm not too concerned about the wealth tax, um, which is this 25% tax on unrealized capital gains. Um, that's a that's a non-starter for a lot of people, not just the Republicans. Yes. So there's a lot of Democrats that's a non-starter for. So I'm not overly concerned about that. But remember, you know, this is how things start, right? They They right. propose it. And they start talking about it. And their goal is not that it's going to be enacted next year, but it's going to be acted in 10 years. And that's really the goal. So we do have to watch out. It's a little like uh, the camel getting its nose in, the in our tent. We need to kind of keep that nose out the best we can. So for those that, you know, really want to lean in and, and kind of sharpen their axe and their pencil on their tax planning, their tax strategies, um, Maybe we could start with some of the things that you see many individuals that you work with right out of the gate, they're doing it wrong. This is either bad behavior or, or, or bad planning. What are some of the bigger mistakes that whether you have counsel or not, you could easily kind of course correct on a little bit just on your own? Yeah, not, number one is how you own your assets. Okay, whether it's your business or your real estate, um, owning it so that it shows up on your personal tax return, your 1040 is a bad idea. So instead of a Schedule C for a business, we form an S corporation or a C corporation. Instead of being on Schedule E for rental property, we set it up so it's a partnership. Um, and, and the reason that it needs to be that way is one, we actually show our tax return to a lot of people. We show it to the bank. Um, we might, you know, anytime we're going through some kind of a lending, I mean, real estate, we're showing it to the bank all the time. Right. Do you really want to show them, you know, a hundred different rental properties and have to explain that to the bank? I mean, I don't. So what I do instead is we, we would then set those hundred rental properties up in a partnership. Um, it can still be LLCs or limited partners. You, you know, at, you, you actually can increase your asset protection at the same time. 
And that way, all that shows up on your uh, tax return is a single number. I mean, if you look at, for example, Donald Trump has done this very well. Um, I looked at his tax returns when they came out. I, I couldn't resist. And, uh, you know, I mean, I knew when they when they were going, talking about releasing them, I'm going, this is not going to tell us anything. And sure enough, you know, there's all this furor over for what? Six years? Yeah. And then, and then it died a, a, a very quick death within a week. That, that story was over. Well, why? Because there was nothing to see on his tax return because guess what? He's only in S corporations, partnerships, C corporations. He doesn't own stuff. He's got three or four schedule C's of little tiny amounts. Um, but he doesn't show anything on his tax return. I, I think we can learn from that. That I think that's the way most rich people do it. The most uh, successful entrepreneurs do it is they keep their personal tax return pretty clean, and then uh, they 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 use entities for owning all of their assets. So they get both the asset protection, the tax benefits, and then they also can use those same entities for estate planning. So that helps as well. Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network and your resources to a whole nother level. But here's the catch. Like I mentioned before, this is exclusive. We're only selecting 25 ambitious individuals for our founding members group who are serious and ready to take that next step in their commercial real estate investing journey. So if you are ready to increase your passive income by at least $50,000 in the next year with commercial real estate investing, then this is your moment. These spaces are gonna fill up fast and trust me, this is the one and only time to be a founding member, which comes with some pretty special benefits. So head over to myfirst50k.com and submit your application now. Again, that's myfirst50k.com. You can head over there, check out the program, see everything that it entails, submit your application to join, and I can't wait to connect with you soon. As I'm curious, as you were coming through his tax returns, did anything stand out to you as that was brilliant or, ah, he could have done that a little bit better? Or was it just kind of as you expected? Oh, no, he paid way more tax than I thought he should have. And and he lost and he lost millions of dollars of deductions. So I actually thought that um, tax planning uh, that went into his tax return was very poor. Um, and actually, it was a, I, I hate to say this, but the tax returns were pretty sloppy. Um, they, 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 I, 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 they, I would never file tax returns that look like those. Okay. Let me, let me put it that way. Now they weren't right out incorrect. There was nothing in there that goes, oh, that's just wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and, and that's what actually what the, uh, 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 staff of the joint committee said when they reviewed them, they said, well, there's, you know, here's things to look at, but there's nothing really obviously wrong here. And, and I agree with that. It's, um, 
I actually think his tax advisors could have done a lot better job. So what you're saying is he needs to call Tom Wheelwright and get his act in order, huh? Well, one way or another, he needs to get his act in order, whether it's calling me or somebody else. So that's very, very true. So talk a little bit more about, okay, we're, we're, let's just assume we're set up right. Um, what should be some of the habits or routines or rhythms, maybe on a, whether it's a monthly or a quarterly or a biannual basis to really be doing proper tax planning and reporting? Uh, boy, that's a, uh, that's, thank you for asking that question. Um, first of all, tax planning starts in January, not in December. Um, this idea of year-end tax planning is just a fallacy. So we need to, we really need to be doing it all year round. And I would say that every entrepreneur and investor should be speaking with their CPA at least four times a year. Times okay. A year. At least four times a year and really have a long-term plan of action. We'd call it a strategy, but a long-term plan of action for reducing your taxes and investing because, you know, especially as you see bonus depreciation, going down every year by 20%, right? It was 100% last year and now it's 80% and it's going to be 6% and keeps going down. You really have to project out your tax situation and it and it should impact your investing it, because you're, when you look at your cash flow and your returns, you're looking at them after tax. I mean, looking at it before tax is meaningless mm-hmm. because it's, it's, it's really what we have to do is look at it after tax. So if we're looking at that long-term and we're projecting that out and we're meeting with our, our CPA on a regular basis, well, guess what? Now we don't have any surprises. We can manage those taxes. If we want to be at 20% tax rate, we can be there. If we want to be at 10% or zero, we can be there too. It's just a matter of, you know, where do we put our efforts and what kind of incentives do we go after? You talked a little bit about, you know, some some thresholds, right? Which I think a lot of people would say, well, I want to be at zero, Tom. Why would I want to be at 10 or 20%? Can you talk a little bit more about contextually the strategy behind that? Yeah, so our our first goal with every client is to get down to 20%. And and the reason is because at 20%, um, the the value of the tax planning starts going down, okay? And and because remember, every dollar dollar of income we pull off our income or every deduction we we, we get comes off the top rate. And so when we're in a 37% tax rate or a 33% tax rate, boy, that's a lot of money. When we look at 20%, we're going, do I change my behavior for 20%? Well, maybe. I mean, I have clients that pay zero and uh, legally and because they don't want to pay any tax. Okay, other clients go, I'm good at 20%. I just want to stay at 20%. Um, so it really, it's actually a bit of a personal decision. And then also it depends on your investing uh, criteria in your investing strategy, because, you know, the reality is if you're continuing to invest heavy into real estate, for example, or, or into energy um, or back into your business, you're going to pay very little tax anyway, because all the money you put back into investing um, or your business, you go into real hard assets. Mm-hmm. Any money you put back in is pretty much going to be deductible. So you're not going to pay tax on that. It's only the money that you save or you spend that you really end up spending um, paying tax on. Why Why would somebody want to, you know, stay at, let's say, 20%, whereas most people would think, hey, I want to get down to zero. When, when does it make sense or why would it make sense for somebody to want to stay at 20%? Well, some people may want to say, well, look, if I can get 20%, I'm not going to do things for tax purposes. You know, I'm not really going to let, the tax tail drive 
the dog, yeah. um, if you will. Uh, we we never want the tax tail to wag the dog or you know really uh, guide it too much, but we do want to recognize that taxes are an important part of our investment returns. I, I think when people get to, sometimes when they get to twenty percent, they go. Yeah, I'm just good with that. I'm okay paying 20%. I'm not going to change my behavior. Now, if my behavior creates more, you know, lower taxes than 20%, I'm good. But remember also what we don't want to do is pay 10% this year and 30% next year. That does not average out to 20%. You're better off paying 20% because remember when I'm talking about 20%, I'm not talking about 20% as your average rate. I'm talking about 20% as your maximum rate. Okay, so your average rate is going to be around 10% if your maximum rate's at 20, if your marginal rate's at 20%. But uh, so I'm not talking about the average rate. The average rate of most people is 20%, right? I'm talking about that marginal rate. Once you get down that marginal rate to 20%, your income so low. I mean, think about this. Um, President Biden has promised that nobody making less than $400,000 will get a tax increase. Well, guess what? If you're making less than $400,000, you're you're probably in a 20% tax rate. So you're probably good, right? So there you go. I mean, those that 20% also matches that 400,000. And when I first heard that when he was campaigning, I'm going, okay, new target. Target is $400,000. We're not going to be higher than $400,000 of taxable income. And that's not that hard. And that that will mean that your top rate is um, 20% or less. For individuals, I hear this question a lot of, man, you know, I've learned so much over the last few years and I feel like I've paid, overpaid or missed the boat on a lot of stuff. Tom, can you help me figure out previous years and make sure that I didn't overpay or can I get money back? What do you say to those individuals? Well, the the good news is that uh, we actually, so my company, so what we do um, my company's Wealth to Building. What we do is we run a network of CPA firms. Uh, we have 65 CPA firms in the U.S. and Canada that I train personally on a monthly basis. And what we do is, is that we actually, you know, will look at your tax returns actually for free. We, we will do a, a, every time we'll do a free uh, look at last year's tax returns. And we'll be able to tell pretty quick whether we can help somebody. And uh, sometimes we can't. And if we can't, we can't, right? If we can't help you, it might mean that you need to change some behaviors before we can help you. For example, if you come to us, we've had people come to us to make $4 million in W-2 salary. And we'll ask them, so what are you gonna do with your money? Well, I'm you know, I'm just putting it in the stock market and, and, uh, and then spending it. I'm going, uh, not much I can do for you. So we, we can't do that. You also have to decide, are you willing to spend the time and the effort to have your CPA be a partner with you in your investing? You, you know, not just talk to them once or twice a year. And that's another time when we'll have people say, well, I just want you to handle it. I'm going, I can't because I can tell you what to do, but I can't do it for you. Yes. So this is a do with you, not a do for you. So you kind of have to make some decisions um, up front. And once you make those decisions, though, I mean, life's pretty easy and taxes are pretty low. So let's talk about that a little bit, because I think that's a really important thing for people to wrap their heads around. I know it was for me, for sure, which was not just, you know, having advice and strategy, but really having a partner in helping you pay less. What does that relationship and dynamic look like in an ideal 
you know, CPA, investor, business owner dynamic? I'll tell you, honestly, um, first of all, you have the first thing you do with them is you create this plan of action, this strategy. And you're looking at, at it very holistically. So you're going to look at um, how are you building your wealth? You're going to look at your tax planning. You're going to look at your um, estate planning, meaning your legacy. And you're going to look at your asset protection. You've got to look at all four of them together. Um, second of all, you're going to meet on a regular basis. I have a lot of clients I meet with once a month. And uh, if they something comes up, they call me. I that was <laughs> I got a, a call at like six, six o'clock at night. My clients all have my cell phone number. Okay, I get a call at six o'clock at night saying, Tom, somebody's looking at buying my business, need to talk to you about it. So um, Saturday morning, I'm on the phone with them and we're talking about what they're doing, right? That's the relationship we have. And that's the relationship I have with all my clients. So um, the other thing I... I want to emphasize is that most people have a transactional relationship with their advisors, meaning that they only meet with their advisors when there's a transaction happening. And it's not a, it's not a personal long-term business relationship or um, investment type relationship. And I think that's a mistake because I think it's a mistake for the CPAs. And I think it's a mistake for the um, entrepreneurs and the investors because what happens is, is that if we have a true relationship and you know that I'm looking out for you and that my and that I'm really focused on you first, then you're not going to be afraid of calling me. Second of all, I think you, I would always ask your CPA, how are you going to bill me? Because if they bill you by the transaction, that means that their intent is to be transactional. Whereas if they say, I'm just going to bill you a flat monthly fee, so it's more of a concierge type relationship. I mean, we see doctors going there. Um, we see financial planners have been in a concierge relationship for years. And we're finally starting to see CPAs um, start to get into that concierge type relationship. Well, what that means is, is that you're not afraid of calling your CPA because you're going to get a bill. And uh, nobody likes calling their lawyer because they know if they call their lawyer, they're going to get a bill, right? For 10 minutes, they're going to get a bill. Um, they'll probably get a bill while the lawyer's thinking about it while they're showering, right? Um, whereas with a CPA, I mean, if I'm going to help you reduce your taxes, I need you to call me. So I actually want to incentivize you to call me. I don't want to disincentivize you to have conversations with me. Yeah, that makes sense. And we'll be sure to link up all of the ways that you guys can reach out to Tom and his team in the show notes at millionermindcast.com on his episode. Um, and I know we'll talk about where we can send them here at the, the end of the interview as well. In terms of somebody that's, let's say, coming into, you know, uh, a surplus of, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars of taxable income that they are, um, you know, expecting to find a way to lower their taxable income. You hear people saying, well, you got to buy real estate property. You got to invest some money here. Talk a little bit more about the strategy behind that and what questions people should be thinking about or asking when it comes to lowering their taxable income with some particular behavior change. Well, be strategic about it. Um, that's, that's number one is don't be looking at it as, and I get this a lot. I'm selling my business. How do I lower my tax in my business? I'm selling my real estate. How do I lower my taxes when I sell my real estate? I mean, those aren't bad questions, but the better question is, um, so 
Can you help me develop this long-term plan so that I know that when I sell my real estate or sell my business, I'm going to have lower taxes? Because the challenge is, is that if you go to a CPA like a month before you close, chances are there's not a lot you can do. Now, that's not always the case. I had somebody call me the day of close on their real estate, and uh, they had not thought of a 1031. And I said, could you change? Do you have enough good enough relationship with the buyer? that you could change this to be a 1031 and go out and have an, you know, qualified intermediary and everything. And he said, you know, I think I do. And he went and did it, saved him $20,000. And that was a, that was one phone call yep. right now. It's not always that easy. So sometimes what you will, what you'd rather do, or what I would have rather done in that case is have him put it in the contract in the first place, right? It would be way easier. Then you don't have to go back to the buyer and say, would you be okay with um, and it, with a business, it's even bigger because you're talking about typically millions of dollars of gains in a business. And are you really, uh, is that really something you want to do at the last minute? I mean, you, you didn't think about selling your business in the last minute. You've been, you've been t thinking about this for a very long time. So right. that's why I say, you know, they always say that, um, you know, business and investing are team sports, right? So Keep your team involved. And uh, I think a key player of anybody's team is their CPA and tax strategist who's going to help them reduce their taxes. Let's get a little more high level and for the the kind of the pros out there that are, you know, feel like they're playing this game at a high level, but there are some things that maybe they haven't thought about or vehicles they haven't used. Maybe give your thoughts on whether it's deferred sales trusts, you know, opportunity zones. What are some of the ways you're seeing ultra wealthy use conservation easements, you know, different things that they may or may not have thought about in their tax planning? Um, well, we talk about all of those. I mean, you know, the the uh, DST is really a way to do a 1031, right? Um, is, is the whole point of that is so that you actually um as a as an individual partner can actually transfer and do a 1031, even when the partnership's not doing it. That's the idea of the of, of those um, Delaware trusts. Um, but what, you know, some of uh, opportunity zones, I, I've always loved opportunities from the day they came out or proposed. I thought this is a great idea because this is a true incentive to attack the marginal properties yeah. and say, could we redevelop these marginal properties if we just had a little more incentive? I, I, I'm in an opportunity zone. I love opportunity zones. So that's certainly one. Uh, conservation easements, of course, they changed the law um, this year. So you no longer can get that four or five times your investment. You're limited to two and a half times uh, the purchase price of the land. Um, so that's re lost some of its uh, shine, if you will, um, its glow. Um, but there are, I mean, there's lots of ways to plan. I mean, there's thousands of them. So, uh, you know, uh, for example, we used to have the Malta pension plans. And well, of course, too many people started talking about them. So the IRS knocked them away. Well, that something else pops up. I, I actually don't look for loopholes a lot. I like to combine my investing and my tax planning together and, uh, and really look at that. So, for example, I, I would tell you the big opportunity right now is um, you own real estate, are you putting solar on your real estate? That's to me, I mean, if you have a 200 unit apartment building, are you doing a deal with utility so that you can actually be a 
a, a biller to your tenants and then then you know you pay the utility so that all that solar you get the benefit of the solar it's not going to the utility or the or the tenant right you want that to come to you so it, that solar um those solar projects i mean they're huge the tax benefit because consider you not only do you get a 30 percent dollar for dollar tax benefit credit but you also get a 65 percent um deduction the very first year so 65 percent two-thirds roughly two-thirds of the cost is going to be deductible in the very first year and the rest of it is going to be deductible over the next few years so you know there's just this huge tax incentive right now to do solar if if you want to if you want to if you're willing to do that and it makes sense for you because you're in an area where there's a lot of sunshine Utility bills are high, Texas, Arizona. I mean, there's two states where Texas, where utility bills are high, and yet you have a lot of sunshine. So why not? You know, why not do that? And um, I, I just put it on my building just last month. So um, I, it, it takes some time to do, but I will tell you that I think solar energy um, from a tax standpoint is probably the biggest thing out there right now. Yeah, and it doesn't seem like it's it's losing any steam or momentum, and it's really only getting better in terms of the product that is coming out. Exactly. And I love what you just said, too. Um, kind of in all of that, I wanted to strip away. We're talking a lot of strategy here. We're talking a lot of high-level stuff. But you talked about also just, you know, the building blocks and the basic foundational stuff, right? That keep it simple, but be consistent in terms of how you oversee it and how you execute on it. And really, it, it takes care of itself, right? It's not some magic bullet or, you know, you know, kind of a pill that's going to solve people's problems. It's just being proactive, being educated, having a clear plan and following and executing the steps in that plan over a consistent period of time. Yeah, I always, I always tell people, stay away from shiny, shiny object syndrome, right? Stay away from the shiny object syndrome. That's true with your investing it's true in your business, and it's very true in tax. Don't just go be looking for loopholes or the next big thing, whether it's PPLI or, you know, whether it's, um, uh, you know, these installment sale trusts that probably don't work, by the way. Um, and, you know, whatever it is, you know, if it's if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is, just so you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's no reason to do those fan like. Like you say, there's no reason to do that fancy stuff. You can get your taxes to zero simply by building lots of wealth in one of these areas that the government prefers. Let's wrap it up on, let's assume everybody's going to follow the the wisdom of Mr. Tom and his amazing crew. Um, And for those of you who want to reach out to Tom, we'll we'll make sure that you guys have access to know exactly where to go. Um, Let's assume they're getting wealthy and they're making a lot of money. Talk about this idea of contribution and, and giving back and how that, you know, becomes a part of many individuals' wealth building plan and journey and how they can maybe think about doing it strategically as they come into that phase of their wealth journey. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I can give you an example. So uh, so I, I'm actually doing my, my estate plan, revising my estate plan with my attorney the other day. And he goes, okay, so this is what you're doing. You're leaving this much to your kids, and then the rest goes to you, then to your then to your wife, and then from there it goes all to charity. I said, yeah. He goes, man, you are the easiest client I've got. 
I'm going because there is never going to be any estate tax. It, there, there can't be any estate tax because the way I've set it up to make basically give it all away ahead of time. And so whether you're giving it to your kids or whether you're giving it to charity, um, you know, setting that up ahead of time makes a, a big difference. The other thing is, remember, there's actually huge tax benefits to this. So, um, for example, if you have highly appreciated stock, let's say you buy, bought Tesla um, back before it split at $400 a share, right? Which we all wish we had, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and now it's worth multiple thousands per share um, uh, if you adjust for the split. You go, well, what if I just gave Tesla stock for my charitable contribution instead of giving cash? Well, now I don't have capital gains on the Tesla stock and I get the deduction at fair market value. Well, why wouldn't I do that? If you think about your own business, maybe maybe you're in a business where you could actually give shares of your business to a, to a qualified charity. Or maybe you've set up a foundation that's a 501c3 charity and you can actually give shares of your business to the charity. So, you know, you don't, don't think that the government doesn't incentivize charitable giving because it does huge, whether it's through a charitable remainder trust or charitable lead trust, whether it's through, through charitable giving of stock or highly appreciated assets, um, or, or whether it's just charitable giving at the end of your life. I mean, the, the government has said, look, if you give money to charity, we're not going to tax it. So Tom, you have been a, an amazing educator to so many people all around the world. You've been somebody that I've followed for uh, my entire entrepreneurial journey and real estate investing journey. I just want to acknowledge you, brother, for all the amazing work and value you consistently provide to individuals that are looking to, you know, sharpen the axe in this space. And I know a lot of people are going to say, hey, I, I don't know it all. I don't want to know it all. I just want to have somebody like Tom on my team. What is the best place for individuals who want to engage with you and your company uh, further? Well, first of all, thank you very much. This is my mission in life. So I, I, I love that people are actually... Um, taking advantage of this. Uh, easiest way is just go to our website, wealthability.com, and you just schedule a call. There's there's no charge for scheduling a call. And like I said, we'll look at your previous tax returns. We'll let you know if there's something we can do. Or um, And then on top of that, you know, I would I always encourage education. I love what you're doing, Matt, because you're educating people. You're bringing on entrepreneurs to educate other entrepreneurs and investors. And I think that is uh, fantastic. Uh, that you're doing that and really appreciate that. And so whether the education is is great podcasts um, like Millionaire Mindcast, whether it's, you know, reading a book like Tax-Free Wealth or Win-Win Wealth Strategy, I think getting that education and changing your mindset, right? This is changing your mind. This is what you're all about. This is what my books are all about. This is what we're all about. Once you change your mind, you can change your life. But until you change your mind, you're stuck with what you've got. Yep. Change those thoughts and then the behaviors and actions change alongside it. And uh, for those that want to maybe take that next step or engage with Tom and his team, uh, be sure to check out millionermindcast.com and we'll have all the links and all the resources in the show notes for you guys. So you guys can check that out there. Tom, I just want to say thank you so much for coming up, coming on the show today, brother. Oh, thank you, Matt. It's been a pleasure. Well, that wraps up this week's episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that interview. And if you did, all I ask is that you take two minutes and leave a review in iTunes, where by doing so, you're also going to get entered in to win a $100 gift card. Don't forget to share this episode out with somebody else that may need to hear it or may get some value from what was talked about in today's interview. And for those of you who are really looking to accelerate your wealth building journey, you want to unlock more financial freedom, you want to get more time back, or maybe you just want to level up your life, your business, your finances. 
Be sure to head over to MillionaireMindcast.com and check out all the amazing products and resources that we have for our Millionaire Mindcast family, whether that's one-on-one coaching with me, mastermind events, downloads and checklists, the Rich Life Planner for those of you looking to take your goal setting and productivity to the next level. We've got all kinds of great, valuable tools. So be sure to check those out at MillionaireMindcast.com. And last but not least, if you're not on my weekly text letter and you want to be the first to know of exclusive updates and offers in addition to behind-the-scenes access to a lot of the stuff that I'm doing, that I'm investing in, be sure to join by texting the word NOTES to 844-447-1555. With that being said, thanks for listening today. Until next time, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your march to a million and beyond. Cheers, my friends.